So the study of the Lord's Prayer, I hope it is as transforming to you as it has been for me over the last year or so. I was fortunate enough to um, be enrolled in a class at Whitworth that looked at the spiritual disciplines, one of those being prayer, um, and looked very deeply into the Lord's Prayer and the use of the Lord's Prayer by the church and by individuals. A few years ago, I took a course also at Whitworth with Jim Edwards where we looked um, quite intently at the Lord's Prayer as well. And what I found with this prayer, I grew up Catholic, so um, the use of the Lord's Prayer as a growing up Catholic was punitive. You would go to confession, and you would confess your sins, and the priest would say, go say 20 Our Fathers and 20 Hail Marys, and then Domino, Sumonos, you're blessed, go on your way. Sin no more. Um, so yeah, I got to the point where, I mean, I had sin every week as a kid, and so I would just say, well, I guess I could cut out the middleman and just start saying Our Fathers, the Lord's Prayer. So it got to be kind of a punitive, repetitive kind of a thing that was void of meaning. In this last year, um, it has completely transformed for me to where I have um, been able to engage in prayer personally in a way through the recitation of the Lord's Prayer that is um, freeing, it is worshipful, um, deeply meaningful, and it cuts out my feeling of having to create these elaborate long prayers um, extemporaneously, and I can just lean into how Jesus taught us how to pray. So hopefully it'll have that impact on you as we study this over the next number of weeks. This is what Matthew writes in the intro to the Lord's Prayer. This is Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's going to be an important sentence for us to look back on here in a moment. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. These are the verses right before Jesus teaches his followers to pray. Now, there are some obvious themes in this section. There are themes about um, being generous with others. There are themes about how we are to act in public and in private. But I think as we look at this in the prelude to the teaching on prayer, what is it that Jesus is saying is critically important as we live out all of our spiritual life? What is he saying is important? And as I ask that question and look for answers here in the scripture, one word comes to me, and that word is motive. What is our motive? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. What is our motive? So as we engage in a number of questions this morning, the first question I want us to wrestle with is, what is the object and subject of our prayers and even our spiritual acts and even our deeds? What is the object and the subject? Think of your prayer life. And I know for me, the object and subject of my prayers are typically myself and what I want or need. 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 When I engage in spiritual acts, the disciplines and so forth, I oftentimes have a motive that says, I do this because I want to please God. I do this because God wants me to do this. I do this so that I can tell others that I'm doing it so I look hyper-spiritual. I'm fasting so others can see that I'm fasting. I'm serving the community so others can see that I'm serving the community. I want people to recognize me as I serve and as I pray. And so 
honestly, I have to look at those things with myself and say, what is my motive? Who is and what are the objects and the subjects of my prayers, my spiritual acts, and my deeds? There was a, an ad on the radio from Lexus Automobiles, uh, which are fine automobiles. If you have one, I'm not saying anything. Toyota makes great cars and, and so forth. But this Lexus radio ad was fascinating to me. On this ad, this was just out a couple of months ago, um, and I'm going to paraphrase it. It said something to the effect of, um, you work all day and you plant trees in the community garden. Maybe some of you have heard this. You plant trees in the community garden, you work all day. Who is going to reward you? That's the question. And the answer is, you are. And then it is, you know, go buy a Lexus. Yeah, well, oh, sorry. Yeah. So, so, so it, it's setting you up to believe that you're this great person and no one's going to reward you for that. So you must reward yourself. And the way to do that is to go spend $65,000, get in debt, and drive a Lexus. There's something wrong with that. You see, our society is at a place where we are so self-focused and, and material-focused that I think we find it very difficult to change the object and the subject of our wants, our needs, our desires, our prayers, our acts, the way we serve God, the way we serve the community. Now, here's what I want you to do for just a few minutes. I want you to get back in your groups, and I want you to, to ask um, these two questions or, or have these, these two comments. Name one prayer that God answered for you in 2011. Just one. One prayer that God answered for you in 2011. And name one prayer he did not answer for you in 2011. One prayer God answered for you and one prayer that he did not answer for you. Okay? Circle up. Take a few minutes. Go through those. And we'll come back here in a minute. Hopefully you all had a, a moment to uh, respond to that question. I think that's one of those questions that is important for us to have in mind all of the time. In fact, if you don't keep a prayer journal or a journal at all, I would highly encourage you to do that so that you can see um, where God has been at work, where God is at work, and where God is leading you. It's a great way to do that. I think that there are also um, some questions of faith that need to be addressed on a regular basis. And as we go into a study of prayer... There are some things I think are foundational for us, and I like to start every year addressing these questions. Now, some of them are going to sound very basic, especially to many of you who have been um, following Jesus for quite some time. But what I've found is in re-asking these questions on a regular basis, and I've just been through a long exercise of having done that, it can help you come up with um, a spiritual rule that you can live by for a next period of time until you address them again. And what you'll find is as you ask these questions, you'll find that God does not change, but your understanding of God may change significantly. And so how you apply those understandings you have of God and your faith and how you choose to live out that faith, these questions help get you to some of those um, lifestyles. So I'm going to ask a number of these questions, and then we're going to dive into some of them here um, this morning, or at least talking about how our faith and our belief are intertwined as we uh, look to intro into the Lord's Prayer. So here are some questions of faith that need to be addressed, I believe, on a regular basis. How can we be sure the Bible is reliable as God's Word? 
Does God exist? Who is he? What kind of God is he? Is Jesus who he said he was? Is he the Son of God? Who and or what is the Holy Spirit? What role does the Holy Spirit play? What does the Bible say about humanity? What state are we currently in humanity? What is God's intention for the church? What is church? Is there an end? And if so, what then? Some foundational questions, some of them may seem basic to you, um, but I would encourage you, uh, if you want a list of these, let me know. I can email them to you. You can write them down. Um, I would encourage you to look at these maybe in a new way and answer them, um, answer them deeply and come to understand how you really think and feel about these questions. Because how you respond to these questions will dramatically change your prayer life. Dramatically change it. I want to ask Daniel to come up. Um, these questions are fabulous questions to be addressed in the context of group. When we isolate ourselves and try to answer these kinds of questions on our own, um, that, that's good, it's a step, but we're better off answering these kinds of questions in the context of community because we're able to um, sharpen each other and test what we think and um, have other people help us with their interpretation and understanding the scriptures a little bit better. So Daniel, I'm, we've invited you this morning to come and share about your small group and the meaning and, and purpose of group for you. If you could turn in your Bibles to John 17. All spiritual people bring their Bibles to church, so if you're not turning, you're not spiritual. So while you're turning, if you could just look at the person who's not, doesn't have their Bible and judge them, that'd be, that'd be great. Thank you. John 17, we'll be looking at um, 21, uh, actually 20. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. This is Jesus praying, by the way. Um, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. You ever read um, the word sometimes, and uh, like you, you just kind of read it, maybe because you're like checking your box for the day, oh, I read the word, you know, and then you just like move past. But then other times you go to the scripture and then you actually like think about what you read and you're just like blown away. Well, I had this sort of encounter actually with John 17. Actually, John 17 has changed my life twice. <laughs> uh, the first time was uh, John 17, 3. I encountered that verse and actually thought about it. And then uh, also reading this passage, John 17, 21. And here's what, what struck, struck me is... Jesus is repeating himself uh, more than once here, um, actually throughout this whole section, but, but we get this sense um, of there's something that's very important that he wants to get across, and then it has something to do with unity. Let me read it again. It says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's really key. Then he repeats himself. He says it over in 22. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. And I started thinking about, like, well, okay, what's he saying there? Um, He's saying that we, like our all the believers may be one with each other just as Jesus is one with the Father. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, Because how one is Jesus with the Father? Pretty one, right? Like, they're pretty unified. And so he just said, I was like, okay, so he just said he wants us to be one with each other just like God is one with Jesus, or God, God the Father is one with Jesus, I was like, oh my gosh, what? That's crazy, because, like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I've never seen that in my life. I've never seen that anywhere else. And I was like, wow, well, man, but but I want that. That sounds amazing. And this is obviously very important to you, Jesus, because you repeated yourself, like, four or five times through that whole passage. And so I was like, okay. Well, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I want it, and I want to be obedient to you because I love you, Lord. So um, I'm going to try. And so I actually started coming here and uh, started a small group in my place, and um, we have become perfectly one. Uh, We are totally united in our group. (laughs) Actually, no. But I kind of started a journey I wanted to start a journey to just figure that out in the, in, in the context of group and dynamic. And um, uh, I think that there's some moments where we are one. Like, for instance, when we're, we're doing the study of John, and uh, there's some moments when we're just, like, wrapped up in the Scripture, and we're, like, it's blowing us away. We're all loving Jesus, you know, and praising Him because of the Word. So there's moments where I feel like that happens, but then I don't know exactly, like, because it doesn't happen all the time, and um, I just don't know if it ever will happen, like perfectly one, but it's an adventure, and it's like something that we're striving for, and and I'm excited about it, and um, uh, I don't know what the future holds, but I think that that is something that we should go for. It's an aim, just as like just like it says in Peter, you know, he says, be holy because I am holy. Well, can we ever be holy on this earth? No, but do we love Jesus? Yeah, so that's why we strive for that. And so that's one of the beauties of, of group is that um, uh, maybe we won't get perfectly one, but we can have these moments and we can strive with all our heart. And so if you're not in small group, can I encourage you to get in small group because um, that you're probably arguably missing one of the best parts about new community. And then also um, you might be missing out on something that Jesus intensely wants for all of us um, for good reasons. So, um, but yeah, I think that, that's pretty much it. Daniel, that's... Uh, for those of us that have um, been on this journey for a while and have done it with the context of people, I, I think you will have the same feeling that I have, and that is that the most profound, dramatic times of spiritual transformation take place in the context of community. Um, I can remember some really good sermons, and I can remember having some worshipful experiences at the corporate gathering, and this is critically important. But as far as my growth 
and this being discipled as a follower, that's happened outside of the corporate gatherings. It's happened in the context of covenant community. And so, um, gosh, we just really encourage you to be engaged in that. Um, and you can be engaged in that. We've got uh, a group flyer out there on the table. Uh, you can talk to Kevin, who's uh, in the back there, uh, and we can help you um, get connected in group. So some application points this morning as we think through some of these foundational questions. The first thing is that we need to allow ourselves time and process to let our belief grow into faith. To let our belief grow into faith. We sometimes mix those two terms. In fact, sometimes we combine those two terms. We think belief equals faith. Belief is actually to admit something. To admit something. Faith is to commit to something. And oftentimes it's to commit to the unseen. So belief is to admit and faith is to commit. A life of intentional faith is a quest for discovery, ongoing discovery. It is nothing less than the pursuit of a lifelong relationship with God. You see, faith is kinetic. It's transformational. Belief is based on information. Faith is based on life transformation. Information on its own cannot change us. But when belief grows into faith, we become transformed. It's described in scripture as following, forgiving, seeking, rejoicing, and sharing. It is the life of relating to God, to others, and to God's creation. It is the process of living out the core values of new community, being mission-oriented, living a life of contemplation and recreation, making lifelong learning a priority engaging in authentic, Christ-centered relationships, showing hospitality to all, and living generously, locally and worldwide. Often, this life of faith is sloppy, messy, unpredictable, and meandering. It can cause us to experience tension as we grapple with what Jesus taught and try to become the type of people he asks us to become. The process of belief, by necessity, poses questions but it is the quest of living a life of faith that is not a set of questions. It's a commitment to the mystery of getting lost in the God-life relationship. To become a Christ follower is not just to adopt a different belief system. To become a Christ follower is to experience transformation into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. For the Christ follower, believing is not enough. It falls short. Admitting is useless without committing. Admitting is useless without committing. There's a great story in scripture. It's about a man who comes to Jesus with his possessed son. I know many of you are familiar with this story. He says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This man brings his possessed son to Jesus and says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. And Jesus, I love how Jesus interacts with people. He looks back at this man and he says, if you can, just repeating the words back to the guy, if you can, like if I can, look at what the man says in Mark 9.24. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, he's saying, hey, I can admit that you're special. I can even admit that you're the son of God. But my belief is not strong enough yet to commit to a life of faith in you and with you. 
I'm not sure you can really do what others have said that you can do, he's saying to Jesus, if you can help me. Now, this guy is right in the process. In fact, I would say that he's right where most of us are most of the time if we're honest about our faith. Perhaps we haven't let our belief grow into faith yet. The author of Hebrews said this about faith. This is in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So to believe is to accept something as true or real, but faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I hope that we can discern the difference. This guy had belief, but he wasn't sure in that which he hoped for, which was the healing of his son. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we let our belief grow into intentional faith, we become transformed. Now, you can test this yourselves by examining if you have any tension in your inner being over the demands of culture versus the draw to be Christ-like. I live in that tension all the time. Um, So many examples of that tension. We um, just had the huge privilege of being on a cruise over um, the Christmas break. The best part about this cruise was that it was sponsored. Uh, I didn't have to pay for it. Um, But there was tension I experienced on this cruise in the fact that we were consuming so much. And then we were going into Jamaica. And you were seeing the poverty of Jamaica and thinking, we're throwing away more food after every meal for 3,500 people on that ship that could be used to feed these hungry people. There's tension in that for me. There should be tension in us over the demands of culture versus the draw to be Christ-like. That tension, that wrestling with trying to understand what is true and right, the conflict you may feel between being called to be a people of peace in the midst of local and global conflict, that tension, I believe, is the Holy Spirit working on us so that we are no longer conformed to the pattern of this world but that we're rather seeking to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through Jesus. So through that transforming and renewing of our minds, we are to become kingdom people. We're to become kingdom people. Empire is what we establish as a society. Empire has to use force, ultimately, to maintain its existence. Empire is ruled by many things, but in our culture, it's mostly materialism. There was another ad uh, on TV I found fascinating. It was for this new sharp 3D television. And and here's what it said. And, you know, I think these things just pass us by as they're said in advertising. Here's what this ad said. It will change your life. A television is going to change my life. Wow. Now, I, I could maybe go to my wife and say, you know, we really need this TV. It's cool, but no, no, the reason we need this TV, it will change our lives. It's a lie. Life, or the TV's not going to change my life. Maybe it would change it in some ways for the worse, but there's really only one thing that can transform us, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. J.C. Penney had an ad. Here's what it said. Uh, it was an, it was a, an ad for um, their jewelry department. Gold. 
the only thing that demands worship. J.C. Penney, gold, the only thing that demands worship. You see, these are the images and the words and the things that are bombarding us every day. This is what should hopefully be creating that tension for us as we seek to be Christ-like in this world and be counter to what culture is telling us. God did not send Jesus to establish a new empire. God did not send Jesus even to start a new religion. God sent Jesus to send his kingdom to earth and to grant us access to his kingdom. We are called to become kingdom people. It's one of the hardest things that we will choose to do and engage in as Christ followers. It goes against everything that modern culture would have us believe. And my challenge to us as we engage in 2012 is that we would choose to be kingdom people. And that's not a resolution. It's not. It's a commitment to faith. It is saying that I am going to, despite the challenges, despite it being countercultural, I am choosing to be a kingdom person. And that might be a prayer that you start every day of 2012 and the rest of your life with. God, I choose to be a kingdom person. Would you please enable me through the power of your spirit to do so this day? That would be a good way to start 2012. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31 to 33, which we'll be studying um, later as we go through Matthew. Jesus said, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See, God's kingdom is made available to us through the person of Jesus. It's all this cultural stuff and the baggage that we add on that brings tension and stress and, and our desire for security and our desire for stuff and our desire for a, a big retirement account or even just a retirement account, let alone a big one. But Jesus said, do not worry. Seek me first. So may we do that in 2012. And as we ask some of these foundational questions, may they inform our prayer life. So unlike many um, times when I teach, I'm actually hoping that we walk out of here today with more questions than maybe we had coming in. And here perhaps is the most important question we can ask as we embark on 2012, as individuals and as a faith community. And the question is, is 2012 going to be about you or is it going to be about him? Is it going to be about me, or is it going to be about Jesus? I thought we would end um, our time here this morning by um, standing and reciting prayer. Now, the way we can do this is um, I will open our time of prayer, and as we stand, if there are prayers that you want to recite, just one-word prayers, whether it's for a person or a need, um, that you would just, in your place, recite those. And then after somebody makes a recitation of a prayer request, we would all just simply say, Lord, hear our prayer. And then after some time of silence, um, we'll conclude by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. And it will be up on the screen, and I will let you know when that's going to happen. So I invite you now to uh, stand. Let's stand as a community of faith together. If you want to grab the hand of somebody next to you, feel free, but don't feel like you have to do that either. 
Let's pray.